but very excited to bring on our first guest uh, for today. Ewan Thompson is uh, one of the co-founders of Each and Every, an organization that aims to reduce uh, preventable drug poisoning deaths, a uh, coalition of, of local businesses. Um, good morning, Ewan. How, how are you doing today? Doing all right, Peter. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Uh, keeping warm out there, dodging uh, dodging the slippy spots outside, um, staying positive, doing what I can. Uh, great, to, great to finally have you on the show. Um, uh, you've been doing lots of work in the community for a long time. Maybe you could start off by actually telling us a little bit more about your organization each and every yeah, thanks. And thanks for having me here today. Um, Each and Every is a coalition of businesses, as you mentioned, started in Calgary and, and Edmonton, um, in particular in the brewing sector, which I work in. And um, it was a pretty easy pitch to make to craft breweries and, you know, coffee shops and so on. Um, businesses that are effectively in the legal regulated drug market that runs supervised consumption sites effectively that uh, that provide safe supply for their customers um, all these kind of buzzwords that you hear around harm reduction and drug policy uh, have have been in place in some drug markets in Canada for, you know, uh, going on 100 years now since we had alcohol prohibition for, um, for that brief stint in the, you know, 1920, um, 1918, 1920 region. So, um, yeah, we, you know, we started there, but uh, there's really like a dozen industrial sectors now represented by each and every uh, across the country, almost every province and territory. And these are businesses that can see that the policing and carceral solutions to drug policy that, that we've been trying to implement um, are just not working. And, and in fact, making the situation much worse as the trust kind of erodes among the, their neighbors, uh, people who use drugs in their in their neighborhoods and so on. Um, they, uh, they they are turning away from services and and rejecting um, some of these systems that are ostensibly there to help them. Um, so uh, I think that um, a lot of these businesses want to see new solutions and and new practices taken on by cities and and provincial governments. Uh, so that's what we're trying to push for. Very very interesting. Uh, so this piece in the March issue of Alberta Views magazine, just uh, hitting newsstands and and mailboxes, uh, is about what's wrong or asks the question: What's wrong with rehab in Alberta? And a lot of the conversation today. And, and even on a national level, it's gotten picked up is the the idea of this Alberta model uh, to to the uh, addictions crisis, the drug poisoning crisis. Um, can you explain a little bit what the idea of this Alberta model is uh, from created by the UCP government? Yeah, it, the Alberta model has been presented to the public as an innovative solution to drug poisoning. Um, it, it is not that. It is it is a doubling down of um, really traditional, um, conservative, and and largely Christian faith based practices um, that that really moralize drug use and and often create moral panics around um, around it as well. Um, that uh, implement a lot of these old school um, practices like, you know, 12 step meetings and, and that sort of thing and, and ensure that people um, don't have as many options um, as, as we would typically want to see in place uh, under 
harm reduction measures like supervised consumption sites, like access to safe supply um, to separate people from the illegal, unregulated drug supply. Um, and, and so as a result of the adoption of this Alberta model in Alberta, people have really had their options eroded. Um, the, the science, the, the evidence is extremely clear that, that most of these practices are, are causing more deaths. They're not solving the death crisis. Um, and, uh, not that, not that we should be, you know, uh, restricting access to, to uh, quote unquote addiction treatment, but, um, that people should have the option to voluntarily access whatever services they see fit for their own health and their own survival in this crisis. Um, so yeah, I, I have been studying the Alberta model since it was really announced in Alberta in around 2019, 2020. And, um, I, I write about it a lot at drugdatadecoded.ca where um, I'll investigate things like uh, the piece that I put out yesterday was about sober, sober living facilities and the way that they charge people sobriety deposits. Um, these are not things that uh, any tenancy act would normally allow, but because people who use drugs are, are so marginalized in their society, uh, we allow these sorts of things to take place um, under you know provincial non-regulation um, I think uh, th this is just one good example of how the Alberta actually uh, the Alberta model actually operates in practice. You, you mentioned uh, about um, the the data and statistics on things. What is the the current picture of the crisis in all Alberta um, it, w with all the I think noise and ups and downs and, and going through uh, the last what is it <laughs> four years of COVID pandemic? I think. It's been very difficult for for most people to keep track of what's actually happening. Yeah, um, right around the time that the COVID pandemic broke out, um, there was a massive rise in drug poisoning deaths, and, and this was attributed to several factors: partly people being disconnected from frontline health services, but partly there was a massive increase in the toxicity of the drug supply as borders uh, seized shut and. Um, and the, the typical traditional drug supply routes were disrupted. So um, in Canada, we've had a, a big pivot towards uh, manufacturing fentanyl inside our borders. Um, the fentanyl supply has completely replaced the heroin supply now in most parts of Canada. There, there effectively is no heroin left. Uh, and a lot of physicians you'll hear talk about, you know, speak sort of longingly about the old days when heroin was available and they were seeing many, many fewer uh, overdoses in their daily uh in their daily rounds. So um, 2020 kind of came and went and and there were really no solutions being put on the table in Alberta that that would mitigate that toxic drug supply. Um, the government was continually, continually uh, doubling down on funding for uh, new treatment facilities, you know, places where people could uh, seek abstinence, but not necessarily seek those harm reduction measures that, that are actually going to help address the toxicity of the drug supply. Um, and uh, this has really persisted through the last few years. Uh, it, it has been paired with an actual eroding of access to those supervised consumption sites, the safe supply, um, which is uh, really just like regulated prescription-based um, versions of the drugs that people are using anyway. And um, as a result, uh, 2023 is going to be the worst year on record for drug poisoning deaths in Alberta. Uh, despite a lot of the sort of politicization of this topic and and uh, political opportunism that our government has has uh, taken on to 
you know, kind of make this case that the Alberta model is working. It, it really is not. And the numbers don't lie. Um, more people are dying now than have ever died before of drug poisoning in Alberta. There, between the, the the approach that the the UCP came in and, and replaced in, in 2019, and and I think the one that you advocate for, your organization advocates for, and this current UCP Alberta model, air quotes, uh, there seems to be sort of a, a discrepancy in the framing of the problem. One as uh, uh, an addictions crisis, a mental health and addictions crisis. And another as a drug poisoning crisis. Are these like contradictory framings or, you know, is one um, misrepresenting the actual problem? That's that's absolutely what's going on. Um, So we are not in an addictions crisis. We are in a drug poisoning massacre. And... Uh, framing it as an addictions crisis is is really effective for maintaining those um, sort of traditional values oriented measures uh, like pushing people into abstinence based treatment centers, um, warehousing people away in these facilities uh, so that they can be removed from the public based on their uh, quote unquote kind of health problem, their addiction. Um, so framing this completely as as addiction um, serves a really important political function and really empowers the police to take whatever measures they deem fit in order to to reduce the public visibility of drug use, um, which in many cases is really a catch-all term for visible poverty. So um, this has been really powerful for the UCP under their law and order governance structure that they've brought in, under, especially under um, Public Safety Minister Mike Ellis. Um, they are very keen to be able to uh, continually manage populations of people that that they see as undesirable in public. So um, this is, you know, this runs completely counter to the evidence. Um, for example, forcing people into treatment puts them at considerably higher risk of drug poisoning uh, when they exit that facility. Um, on the converse side of this, um, busting people for drugs, so having police go in and seize drugs from people also puts those people at considerably higher risk of drug poisoning. So effectively, all of the measures that are being implemented under the Alberta model are increasing the risk of death for people. You, you mentioned, can you explain a little bit more about this, uh, this policy of, of forced rehab for people? Because I think that's also something new that maybe um, didn't really get the full attention of the public. Yeah, this was a real hot stove for the provincial government um, last year where uh, they, they did roll out a, a full policy um, plan called the Compassionate Intervention Act. It has not been put into practice yet, has not been passed in the legislature, but uh, it suffered so much public backlash that they they ended up walking it back and not pushing it forward in the last legislative session, um, which was, I think, a real public win. Um, the Compassionate Intervention Act would have effectively empowered families, police, um, the courts, uh, even doctors and, um, and and health practitioners to be able to compel people into addiction treatment centers. Uh, this would have been really effective for these these privately run organizations that that need to keep their beds filled um, at these treatment facilities. Uh, but it would have been a real disservice to the people who, had, who were being pushed in involuntarily into these facilities. Because as I mentioned before, it puts them at higher risk of drug poisoning um, upon exit from that facility. It, it also um, creates a massive amount of distrust with anybody that gets um, pushed into this sort of thing because uh, they will 
then likely disconnect from any whoever it was that pushed them into that in the first place, as well as any kind of associated affiliated health services that that they might otherwise access. You uh, you mentioned some of these uh, recovery facilities are uh, are faith based, and I, I think there's a, a a stat that jumps out in this article you wrote um, that half of Alberta's treatment beds are explicitly faith based facilities, um, focusing on uh, a model uh, of of total abstinence. Um, can you give a little bit of a lay of the land of of the different? Uh, recovery facilities that exist in Alberta, you know, ownership, are they for profit? Are they not for profit? Um, and how maybe they're all regulated or not? Yeah, they are largely um, not for profit at the moment, but they are privately run. So there, there is this sort of public funding of private organizations that's been happening in Alberta. We've been seeing it really emerge in healthcare as well. Um, but uh, regardless of whether they're, they're for profit or not for profit, they are um, really not subject to the same regulations that you'd see under, under a publicly run model. Uh, there are a handful of publicly run addiction treatment facilities in Alberta, but those are dwindling away pretty quickly, especially as the new model really takes place. Um, some of these are fully corporatized, fully for profit um, entities like Edgewood Health Network, which is running the first operation, um, this uh, therapeutic community, kind of just a, a larger addiction treatment facility, effectively, 75 beds um, that just opened up in Red Deer last year. And an Edgewood, Edgewood Health Network is is a company with, um, with its wings really spread across the country now, um, from Ontario to the West Coast, they're operating facilities. And, um, you know, they... Uh, they obviously have a profit motive in in having their beds filled at all times. So a forced addiction treatment model is very appealing for a company like that. Um, you know, the, the not-for-profit ones uh, are still, you know, finding ways to, to create revenue. Um, when I was writing about these sort of sober living facility deposits, uh, this is a great way to squeeze extra revenue out of uh, tenants who would otherwise, you know, have better protections under the Alberta Tenancies Act. Um, they don't have those sorts of protections because they're living in transitional recovery facilities. So, um, you know, there's lots of little loopholes that exist here that can um, enable these organizations to squeeze more and more revenue, more more and more profit out of uh, the tenants and out of the the residents that are attending these facilities. For those just tuning in, I'm I'm chatting with Ewan Thompson. He's the co-founder of an organization called Each and Every, and he's written in the March issue of Alberta Views magazine on what's wrong with rehab. Uh, in this Alberta model, these these new recovery facilities, uh, what data do we have to know that they are working or not? We don't have any data to, to know that they are working, actually. And I think that would shock most people in Alberta um, that we've really we've committed $300 million a year in Alberta to this model now. And uh, it's all based on uh, either flimsy or no evidence whatsoever. Um, the Alberta government does not share information about outcomes or evaluation metrics um, concerning these facilities whatsoever. So we don't even know how many people are on the waiting lists for them. Um, not only that, it actually gets worse. The Alberta government has handed over the um, the data to a private recovery facility that exists in BC called Last Door Recovery, 
society. Now, Last Door is also the organization that runs Alberta Recovery Conference and, and the broader recovery capital conferences that exist across the country, which really serve as, a, as an important forum for uh, for drug war propaganda, um, for recovery propaganda that that the Alberta government has really seized onto as, within this Alberta model that they've developed. Um, so, you know, this this organization um, has taken a, a couple of sole source contracts totaling nearly two million dollars from the Alberta government to develop what's called the My Recovery Plan. Now, this is an app. Um, in which the data for people entering these recovery facilities and programs is stored and then kept privately by Last Door Recovery Society. The Alberta government itself has specifically told me through a freedom of information request that they don't even have access to this data. So um, Alberta government has now effectively privatized the patient data um, for these, uh, you know, quote unquote, health measures that are being taken um, by Alberta mental health and addictions. So you would expect with a with 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 a recovery uh, program or, or model or, or system with all these different centers operating that you would be monitoring um, whether people relapse um, after recovery, whether there are uh, overdose deaths of of people who. Um, I guess, graduate or, or complete uh, a, a visit at, at one of these facilities. Are you saying we don't have that data? Not only do we not share it, they don't even seem to be uh, keeping that data. It would be pretty easy for the government, um, knowing that somebody came into a recovery facility, an addiction treatment facility, using their personal health number, um, and then that person wound up in an emergency department with an overdose, uh, or drug poisoning a, a few months later, th- those sorts of things would be very, very easy to track. This requires zero infrastructure to build. Um, it already exists within our system effectively, but uh, they just simply do not want to know the answer to that because um, the international research is really clear that that it's not going to help. None of these measures are going to help reduce drug poisoning deaths, unfortunately. Um, the the way to you know address drug poisoning is is basically through medication-based approaches. This, this is the evidence-based approach. So things like opioid agonist treatments are great. Methadone is, is fantastic. It's, it's, it's really evidence-based. It's been used for many decades. Um, um, and, and more and more as people are, are hooked on the fentanyl supply, that, um, that they get access to regulated fentanyl to, to, as that starting low barrier starting point for them. Um, if, you know, if they want to move on to something else, get onto methadone later, that's great. But but start with the drug that they're using anyway. Uh, we do not offer that in Alberta, and in fact, the government has has really whittled that down to nothing um, from from what was a a pretty bare bones program in the first place of people being able to access regulated hydromorphone, which is dilated, um, kind of a heroin strength opioid um, that was available under the NDP government for a while. It, it it was effectively eliminated last year by the UCP government. What do we know about the role that affordable housing plays in this crisis? I mean, in Calgary, uh, I've I've done some calculations showing that unhoused people are one thousand times higher risk of dying of drug poisoning than housed people. Uh, we have completely abandoned unhoused people to the drug poisoning crisis in this province, and it almost seems to be intentional at this point. Um, just sort of a conveyor belt out of housing uh, due to lack of housing affordability. Almost entirely, people people do not fall into houselessness because of drug po- of uh, drug use. They fall into houselessness because they can't afford a home or because they're running away from something uh, in in different uh, settings, you know, domestic violence or otherwise. 
And um, so, you know, when they do, when people do end up unhoused, the, the risk skyrockets of uh, of dying of a drug poisoning death because um, they uh, don't have safe spaces to go. In Calgary, for a city of 1.5 million people, we have one supervised consumption site that does not offer inhalation services. I think another thing that most Albertans would be shocked to hear is that um, more, far more than half of people who are dying of drug poisonings nowadays are not dying from injection drug use. They're dying after they smoke, after they inhale the drugs. Uh, we do not provide inhalation services for anybody in this province anymore since the Alberta government shut down the Lethbridge site, the only one in the province back in 2020. Uh, so we need to, we need to start talking about supervised inhalation sites alongside all of this. And I understand there, uh, there's debate in in Red Deer, uh, I think happening today with the the city council there and the UCP uh, potentially shutting down a, a facility. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, um, last year Red Deer City Council vo- voted wholesale to adopt uh, the Alberta model. So they were voting to you know um, provide more more power to police, more power to addiction treatment centers, uh, more power potentially to compel people into addiction treatment and so on, and then uh, became the first city to to welcome one of these um, 11 therapeutic communities into their city. Uh, so these therapeutic communities that I mentioned before, just really larger addiction treatment facilities, uh, very conventional methods, nothing, nothing innovative about them. Um, but they uh, are um, you know, showing up in, in different cities now and, and regions, uh, First Nations as well around the province. Um, Red Deer got the first one. And um, what they're doing now is potentially voting to find a way to uh, remove the only overdose prevention site in town from uh, from that downtown area where many, many unhoused people uh, rely on this, in particular unhoused people. Uh, housed people as well do use supervised consumption sites, overdose prevention sites, um, but they're particularly leaned on by unhoused people who really don't have other safe spaces to use drugs. Um, as we know, uh, using alone is the number one predictor of, of experiencing a drug poisoning. So whatever we can do to keep people from having to use drugs alone will uh, massively reduce the risk for those folks. Um, that's why overdose prevention sites are so valuable. And Red here today is, is undergoing a public hearing to potentially um, get to the point where the where the city council can justify dispensing with this one overdose prevention site that that is leaned on so heavily by by the population around downtown red deer overall for for alberta what do you what what does success look like to you and to your organization it, it, it's really about opening options for people um everything should be voluntary everything should be done um, with the consent of of people who are trying to access services. Uh, we should not be forcing people into these narrow-minded, moralistic frameworks of drug use uh, that, that we think that uh, they just shouldn't be using drugs, they shouldn't choose to use drugs in the first place. People use drugs for all types of reasons. Uh, most of us drink alcohol, um, but nobody's really moralizing us about that. Nobody's forcing us into addiction treatment. Um, and, uh, you know, we can use alcohol safely at home, uh, knowing that it's a 5% beer or a, a 13% bottle of wine, uh, alcohol by volume with no poison in it. There's no methanol there that's going to turn us blind or, or drop us dead on site. Um, the, the same sort of thinking needs to be applied to other drugs so that people can use those safely. There was a time just a hundred years ago where this was true. Um, but really under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act that that evolved starting in 1907, 
um, the, the whole nation of Canada has, has really just uh, been converted into this idea that, that certain drugs are bad and some drugs are okay. Uh, we'll regulate those ones and anybody that wants to use those bad drugs should just be left to the mercy of, of a completely unregulated and toxic drug supply. So, um, yeah, I think that we, you know, a perfect outcome of this really is just that, you know, people have voluntary access to treatment centers if that's what they want. But if they don't, they have access to safe regulated supplies of drugs um, and they have safe spaces to be able to use those drugs if they if they choose to do so. Um, and, you know, our education and and, and um, management of people's basic living conditions like housing, like food security are, are looked after so that. Um, people aren't simply, you know, using drugs to to manage their, the pain of their daily existence, which, which I think is pretty high for a lot of folks right now. Ewan, thanks so much for, for taking the time to come on the show this morning. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Peter. Once again, I've been speaking with Ewan Thompson. He is a co-founder of Each and Every. You can find out more about them at eachandevery.org. You can also read his piece in the March issue of Alberta Views magazine, What's Wrong with Rehab? The Lack of Accountability in the Alberta Model for Dealing with Drug Use. With its cunning ways When I close my eyes 